0: Good evening everyone. Welcome in. This is a video on the St. Louis 1949 exorcism. The St. Alexius Hospital Lecture, June 12th, 2019. the YouTube video the notes say Alexian brother Warren Longo and author Pat Rick speak about the 1949 St. Louis exorcism which inspired William Peter Blatty's book and William Friedkin's film The Exorcist at St. Alexia's Hospital on June twelfth, twenty nineteen, Saint Louis, Missouri, Saint Alexis Hospital, and the Alexian Brother Warren Longo.
1: I've been a Alexia brother for 61 years. I entered when I was uh, actually 18 years old. And uh, I think I will tell you this, because it really has meant a lot to me. I remember it every single day. You know how people have dreams? You all have dreams. Well, I was 17 and a half, and I was working in a hospital paying my way to Catholic uh, high school because my parents were poor. They couldn't afford it. So I said, well, I'll work. And he said, then someone said, uh, I work in the, there's a opening in the kitchen at St. Mary's Hospital. So I went uh, over there and I got a job and one evening I had this dream and I dreamed of Jesus, literally Jesus hunched like this with a crown of thorns on his head with a white robe and a very heavy cross and he was walking very slowly and he looked back at me and I was I went, and he went like come on follow me <laughs> and uh, so I said my gosh then what happened what happened was I called the vocation director up in Chicago I was from, from Racine, Wisconsin and uh, he said I, I said that uh, I would like to I'll uh, Put my application. They said fine. He said the only thing what we need at that time, the only thing that we need is a bill of good health. So go to your family doctor and get a uh, uh, you know get get an examination. And so Doctor Buckley was the family doctor for many years. So I went there, and he uh, he said, let me see here. He took his he said son. He said, he said, you, son? He said you know you have a very bad heart. I said, what? He said, yes, you have a bad heart. I said, oh my gosh, I didn't know I had a bad heart. And I, I just felt so, I said, oh my God. <laughs> so what I did was I, uh, uh, I called Brother Allen up and I next day and I said, you know, the, the doctor said I have a bad heart so I don't think I can enter. He said, I'll tell you what you do. Get a second opinion. The <laughs> receipt was only uh, an hour and a half from, from uh, Chicago. So uh, we have an emergency room at the hospital here. You just come and uh, let me know when you're gonna come. I said, I'll come tomorrow and, uh, and we'll have one of our doctors. So I went to the doctor, I went to the emergency room of the uh, Lexington Brothers Hospital in Chicago and the doctor, you got a good heart. <laughs> I said, what? You have a good heart. And that was due, I think, to Mary because The day after the day that I found out that I had a bad heart, I went to uh, the church across the street from St. Mary's, Holy uh, Holy Name Church, which was the the, the church that I belonged to. And I I went to the altar, and frankly, I began crying. I said, I don't understand. Jesus sort of asked me to follow him, and now I've got a bad heart, so how can I do that? And I said, you know, you you," at at the wedding feast of Cana, he said it wasn't his time, but you said go ahead and uh, do, what, do what I say. You know, get, get some good wine for these for the guests here, and that's what you did for me. Because after that, they couldn't find anything wrong with my heart, and here I am, eighty-one years old, and I still have a very good heart. <laughs> okay. Um, let me just tell you the, this: uh, that uh, the reason why we're having this is because. First of all, it's the 150th anniversary of the Alexian Brothers here in St. Louis. The Alexian Brothers is a very uh, small order, but we originated in Germany, uh, the Rhineland. uh, We are one of the oldest orders in the world. We go back about 800 years. And we always took care of people that nobody else would take care of. And uh, and that's what we've done. So Brother Bonaventure Phelan came to Chicago first and uh, he uh, uh, founded a hospital there, a small little clinic it was, on the corner. If you're familiar with Chicago, on the corner of Dearborn and Schiller Street in Chicago, it was a, a sort of a small house, and that was like a clinic or a little hospital, you might say. And he found an old man who had fell down in the gutter, and he literally picked him up on his shoulder and brought him into the. Uh, uh, into his little house. And that was the beginning of Alexian Brothers in the United States. Three years later, he always thought of St. Louis because it reminded him so much. The Mississippi reminded him of the Rhine. So he came to St. Louis in 1869 and he, uh, there was a Simon's Mansion that was there which is right here on this ground. It was the Simon Mansion. Mr. Simon uh, was a banker And he also, uh, what he did was he gave a big donation to Brother uh, Bonaventure saying, I'm glad you bought this house and you're gonna use it for a good purpose. And on April uh, 19th, 1869, his or 18, I think it was 1870 because he had to get it all organized. His first first, uh, patient was, uh, happened to be a priest uh, so that he took care of that. And then it began to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, so, and also, it's interesting because this is the 70th anniversary of the exorcism. When did it take place? 1949, 2019. 70 years ago, the exorcism took place at our hospital, not this building, but the old Alexian Brothers Hospital, which is now demolished. And I'll tell you some stories about that. And there's a, someone here in the audience who's going to tell you the story as well because of the uh, room in which the exorcism took place in the hospital. Okay, first of all, let me just say this. Um, I, uh, one of our brothers, uh, Brother John Grider, some of you may know him, uh, he uh, was here in St. Louis, and uh, we, he got sick. He was the last brother that literally took care of Robbie, we call him Robbie. We promised that we would never give his real name. He was not from St. Louis, he was from Mount Rainier, Maryland. That's where he originally was from. And let me get, uh, but anyway, we prob- on his deathbed uh, about four or five years ago, I promised that we would do a documentary or something on him in which would emphasize what the brothers did, because the brothers didn't always get the credit. It seemed like the priests always got the credit but not the brothers. You know. So anyway, I'm going to be talking about uh, uh, all that the brothers did very shortly. Uh, I use the name Robbie because that's the name that we, we use. And, uh, and uh, then I'm going to tell you another thing that happened to me. This was the, when Robbie, when they asked, when uh, Father Bodern asked to have Robbie placed in the hospital. Well, here's the story. Robbie was about 14 years old. His, uh, uh, I think it was his aunt, was very much into the Ouija boards and and uh, spiritualism. And then she had died. And anyway, all kinds of things were happening in the house where he was staying and the house where his parents were. There was a nice picture of Jesus, you know, knocking on the door. And, uh, and uh, all of a sudden, sometimes you could see that it was flipping. Then all of a sudden there seemed to be all kind of cockroaches and crickets all over the place and hearing him. And they were saying, where is this coming from? This was never here before. Strange sounds. And uh, he began to act pretty strange himself. And by the way, the boy was, uh, the parents were not Catholic, so they knew nothing about, uh, except that there were strange things happening. The mattress sometimes would start levitating. And so what they did, they went to their own minister of their church, and the minister, uh, sort of what he did was he said, let me, let me see him. She said, His mother said, it only happens, it seems like in the evening. During the day he's not so bad, but in the evening he gets real strange, goes into these sort of convulsions and all kinds of stuff. And uh, boy, is he a good spitter. He can spit you right in the face. He's a good aimer. Boom. And the boy didn't know any uh, Latin or anything, and he would speak even a few Latin words. So what happened was uh, the, um, the, the minister said, ah, let me just go to, I'll go to your house, and I will stay with him uh, one evening and just observe him. So he was sitting in his chair, the, uh, the minister was, and all of a sudden, uh, Robbie would start, it was especially around 10, 10.30 at night, to, to have these strange events, the, 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 uh, the uh, he would be saying these words and he would be spitting and he would be you know real mean and cruel and things would be sh- shifting in the house like and these strange noises and uh, the minister said, oh something is not right here. He said, he said, isn't right here." he said, you know what? let me tell you something This was before the ecumenical movement, you know way back in 49 he said, those Catholics, they have these ancient prayers of exorcism. They are prayers that are 600 years old. And he said, I, what I would do is go to the neighborhood Catholic church and see someone over there. Maybe they can work this out. And so they did. And the uh, priest said, well, okay, let me, he did the same thing with the minister. Let me just watch the kid uh, and see how, how he does and let me, let me see. And I, I'll have, uh, I'll say some prayers or whatever. And the same thing happened. But what happened, too, was the boy somehow got a hold of the spring under the mattress, and he slashed the priest's arm, 22 stitches all around. And he said, oh, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. That's, that's it. Meanwhile, the parents, one day, a few days later, uh, they heard Robbie was in the bathroom. He was in the, looking at himself in the mirror. And all of a sudden, they heard him,
2: oh,
1: oh, they heard him screaming. And she ran into the bathroom. He had somehow, like someone was scratching in his flesh on his chest, Louis, L-O-U-I-S, St. Louis. And they said, we have relatives in St. Louis. That must be a sign that we should go there. And so they brought him to St. Louis in Belnor, which is the northern the suburb of, of, in St. Louis, and they stayed there for one of the members of the family was a student at St. Louis University, and so what she did was she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask uh, the, the priest, the, the pastor there, about this whole situation. His name was Father Boulder. And so he, they got a picture of, I mean, they, uh, uh, she talked to him, and he said, well, let me, uh, let, I'll bring him over to the rectory, and we'll see what happens. And the same thing began to happen. And it was, so then they went back to, uh, they, he stayed there for some days at the rectory because they had extra rooms there. And then what happened was they went back home to Belnor and then back and forth. And finally, Father uh, Bodern said, that, that's it. We have to do something now. We got to give this boy proper care, continuity of care, and uh, he needs to be in a hospital, in a psychiatric ward. I don't know any person who will take him, any any hospital, except the Alexian brothers. I know them, they're not that far away, and they will take him. Sure enough, he called Brother Cornelius, who, by the way, was the, uh, Brother Cornelius was the uh, uh, administrator of the hospital here. And uh, Brother Cornelius uh, said, absolutely, bring him over, and we will give him 24-hour care, and the brothers did their, around the clock, they would do his, they cleaned up after him, and they saw, by the way, the brothers, every brother will tell you this, they saw strange things every day. The boy would spit in their face, the boy would curse at them, and during, during the day, he was fine. Brother, Eddie became a real good friend of, of one of the brothers, uh, Brother Emmett. And Brother Emmett would take him sometimes out of the hospital room into the backyard because we had a lot of flowers and stuff. Even though it was April, there was, you know, the blooming, the uh, flowers are blooming. And the boy just said, oh, brother, you are so good to me. And the parents were just so happy about this whole thing. So uh, what we're going to do now is I'm going to read you a letter. Uh, this is from uh, to brother Cornelius, from St. from. Uh, one of the priests who was helping with the exorcism. Father Boder was the chief exorcist, but he also had other priests. And one of them, by the way, was the documentarian. What he did was he, day each day, he would write up the history of what happened that day, every single day. As you can see, they crossed out the name of the boy because we we felt very much obligated not to, uh, not to expose his name. That's why we call him Robbie, even though that's not his name whatsoever, but we call him Robbie on this. But um, let, me, let me just, uh, this, this is the letter that we received after the exorcism, the prayers took effect. The enclosed report is a summary this, of the case which you have known for the past several weeks. The brother's part in this case has been so very important that I thought you should have the case history for your permanent file. One of the finest benefits that has come to me as a result of this case is a high appreciation of the work and religious devotion of the Alexian Brothers. The prayerful assistance of your community was certainly a strong factor in winning the battle against Satan. Your own cooperation to the extent of establishing public devotion to Our Lady of Fatima will always be associated with the inspirational aspects of this case. The family has been won over completely by the wholehearted charity of your brothers. There is little doubt that the intention of Mrs., which is the boy's mother, to become Catholic, has been deeply influenced by the Christ-like attitude of the brothers who worked with her. And uh, so, what happened was: let me let me just explain a little bit here. Brother uh, Cornelius uh, was uh, the reason why I got a hold of this. Brother Cornelius was the head of uh, the young brothers who were all on different, uh, they were getting their education in different fields of healthcare, And there was uh, 33 of them. And then he had gotten sick. It was This was in Chicago. And I happened to be there in Chicago as a young brother. And they asked me to take his place. Shortly after he left, he passed away. So one evening, or one day, it took me about a year before I... I, because I, I, I had his desk, I had all of his, uh, uh, you know, his uh, office and stuff, I opened up the bottom drawer, I said, I need to clean this drawer out, I haven't cleaned it at all. And I, lo and behold, I felt some paper, it was this. I said, oh my gosh, <laughs> look at that. So, then, so I, uh, I kept it, because I thought I would be, someday I might be talking about this. So, <laughs> so then, um, here's what, but here's what happened in terms of Brother Cornelius. Uh, during the 1940s, of those of you who are Catholic, you might remember, I as a little kid, I was 11 years old when, I, when the exorcism took place. I was 11 years old in Wisconsin, but I do remember very much the devotion to Our Lady of Fatima. I remember as a little boy singing, Dear Lady of Fatima, each time that you appear to help your intercession for peace and unity. Anyway, there was great devotion to Our Lady of Fatima. And so what what Brother Cornelius did was he bought that statue here in St. Louis, he put it in the lobby of the hospital, and uh, in order to, because the brothers prayed the rosary around the clock. They gave him physical care, yes, but they also gave him spiritual care. They prayed the rosary around the clock. And believe me, they saw all kinds of things happening. You would, uh, oh, they, they, they could tell you stories. None of them are living anymore, but they could tell you stories of what they saw in terms of bringing in a, bringing in a tray of food. All of a sudden, the plate it would go like that fall on the floor, or that he would take that plate and he'd shove it into the brothers, try to shove it in the brothers' face. He would try to escape, and this would happen usually at night. And so they would, uh, you know, try to calm him down, even though he loved the brothers, but at night there seemed to be a change of personality, especially at night when it was dark. And uh, so anyway, um, finally, uh, so Brother Bob uh, that statue. Then, in April, toward the end of April of 1949, is the Easter season is coming up, and there's the what we call the Triduum, or Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. Father Bodern, said, by, by the way, before I get into that, uh, would you show um, the, uh, the St. Michael the Archangel that is a statue of St. Michael the Archangel that Brother Cornelius brought to the boy's room on his bedside stand. Uh, it was about, uh, I know, it was pretty much uh, a few weeks after he got there, Brother put that in his room, because Michael stands for St. Michael, and it, it is the, it's putting a spear in the, in the devil, uh, and that's what St. Michael is noted for. <clears throat> so he had that, and then during the uh, Holy Week, Brother Cornelius brought that statue from the uh, entrance to the hospital on the first floor to the fifth floor in the corner right next to his room so that Mary, Our Lady of Fatima, was right near there. And and so the brothers, again, did the rosary and did a lot of prayers to Our Lady of Fatima. Then I would like to do is now, uh, because... Holy Thursday, nothing happened. Holy Saturday or Good Friday, nothing happened. Out of the ordinary. Uh, the by the boy, the, by the way, the boy and the mother and father wanted to become Catholic, so they received communion and everything. And then uh, the boy. Uh, it was Easter Sunday. Ah, that's the day. That everybody. That Father Bodern said, "That's the day. I bet you, that's the day when things are going to change. He'll get out of this. The evil will will." Uh, evict itself from him. Nothing happened. But then comes the Monday after Easter. Let me read to you what happened, because this is scary in a way, because, you know, this is coming out of the boy's mouth. A real deep-throated voice. The following is an accurate quotation. At 10.45 p.m., this is the Easter Monday. The most striking event of the evening occurred. Robbie was in a seizure, but he was calm in a way. In clear, commanding tones and with dignity, a voice broke into the prayers. The following is an accurate quotation because the priest that was there was taking notes, and this is exactly what he wrote. Satan. This is coming out of the boys' mouth. Satan. Satan. I am St. Michael, and I command you, Satan and the other evil spirits, to leave this body in the name of Dominus. (coughs) Dominus is Latin for God. Leave now, immediately, now, now, now. Then there was the most violent contortions of the entire period of exorcism, that is, since March 16. Perhaps this was the fight to the finish. Father O'Flaherty and the brothers and Father Baudreau were weary and sore physically from the exertion, but they said, oh my God, he's gone. Immediately, Robbie came back to normal and said, huh, I feel good. He's gone. He doesn't remember Some who do say that. I, I, I don't know. I was, never, I was never there. I never went there. Yes?
0: Um, I'm
3: actually going to be the listing agent for that house. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <gosh. laughs> <laughs> 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 I'll talk to you later if you'd like. My name is Sidney Monroe. <laughs> okay, very good. Yes? I was basically okay. at the High School. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: to you that what we did, once the boy left, the room was never used for a patient again. It was never used for patient. It was used as a storage room. That's what we used it for. Pat was working here at that time, so let him give
2: you a little love. issue of paper towels, we always had to be careful to prop the door open since they were self-closing. And once I went in, I thought I'd prop the door open, and uh, moments later, the door closed on me. and I was stuck in that room for probably 45 minutes before someone realized I was missing and came to get me. As you know, early in the 90s, uh, we didn't have cell phones, so there was no way for me to contact anyone. But uh, the rooms really were not...
1: In any way, as far as I know, but that is a question again, quite free. Thank you. Very much, Pat. Okay. Uh, any other questions
2: that you might have over here? Let's see. Yes. Uh, two-part question: Is there a musical component to the exorcism prayers, and is there any further public information available on Robbie's, and aunt's activities in Maryland?
1: No, there isn't, for you. Yeah, no. not that I'm aware
2: of. Thank you. Okay. Yes. I was wondering when the
1: old hospital was demolished. Yeah. When? When was it? Um, it was demolished in. Brother Tom, why don't you come up here for a minute and tell them about what you saw? Well, I can just uh, go from here. Uh, By 1980. 1980 was demolished. But Brother Tom was went to see right before the wrecking ball came uh, the evening before. He went to that area and this is what he found. I don't have a great uh, recollection on that, but you know, the room was
4: there and it was kind of a normal room. I didn't see anything really unusual there. But, uh. Did you say
1: there was a seance,
4: you thought? There was a- yeah, at times, you, there was some unusual things like that, but I don't have a strong recollection on that anymore either.
5: Well, I have a personal connection 1968, a good friend of mine and I were bussing tables uh, at the Cheriton restaurant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right down the street, Joe Tanguero, uh-huh. an old restaurant. And he started bending over and apparently was having an appendicitis. So after he couldn't straighten up anymore, Joe oh, let us leave and I brought him to Election Brothers, uh-huh. the old yeah. section. Oh, yeah. oh, they operated, he was fine. He had to stay in the hospital about a week. Every day I visited him. The nuns kept coming in and telling us, "You haven't gone up to the fifth floor, have you?" <laughs> <laughs> and we just looked at each other and went, "Why does? Why does she keep saying that?" We were in the seminary at the time, both of us. Oh yeah. St. Louis Prep Seminary. Yeah. on I'm Shrewsbury. And um, anyway, he was getting uh, released. So the last day I came. so we're walking down the hall it was july it was 95 degrees outside we got up to the landing and started walking down the hall as we walked down the hall it got colder colder and colder and you could see your breath like it was winter and by the time we got to the middle room every door was sealed we just had this feeling of terror and we
1: just turned and ran we go down by my yeah, those those things uh, those are what others have experienced uh, a real coldness as they approach the room. Yeah.
2: Yes. I I, I was just wondering, I've been raised um that over at St. and it might be a rumor that over at St. Xavier Church uh-huh, yeah. that they witnessed uh, Michael beating the devil down around the same time? Uh, yes, yes, that is correct. That The uh, priests
1: were at uh, the... Some of them were up that evening, and that, that Monday after Easter, when all this <coughs> occurred, and they saw a bright light in the sanctuary of the church, of St. Francis Xavier Church, in which they saw something that looked like St. Michael the Archangel. Yeah, and there, it was real bright, and then they heard this loud bang. Yeah, you're right. That's what uh, yeah. I didn't know if it was rumors or no, not. I think uh, that's what they said. That's what they said. Yeah. I don't it's not in the it's not in the, uh, the documentary, but that that uh, that is what I had heard. Yeah. Anybody else? Excuse me. Huh? I just want oh. to share something. No, I actually
3: did work here, so I wanted okay. to share that. Okay. I worked here um, as a work. And I worked in uh, medical records here back in the day, and that was in the 1977 no, through about 81. And it was in the old building, and then I also worked in the new building. And that room was definitely there. It was definitely roped off. And my training as a ward clerk was up in those areas, and you could walk past there, and then obviously they take you back down. But I did get trained up around there. And I think of all the brothers that, you know, all of that was hush hush. You didn't speak of it, and you just kind of went on your
1: day. Yeah, yeah. So. Okay, thank you. Yes. Well, we'll go right here, and then we'll. How many exorcisms did it take? Well, it took. Uh, it took. Uh, oh, it must have been about. Oh, I would say. Thirty to to forty uh, exorcisms. Uh, actually, praying over the boy almost every night since he. Uh, before he even entered the hospital, and after he entered the hospital, the same thing. Yeah, almost every day he was. These prayers were said over him.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, when all this was going on, did Robbie? Did he remember anything during the day of what was going on?
1: At night? Uh, no, he didn't remember very much at all during the day. No, he was. He was pretty fine. Just a few, maybe minor things, but nothing of significance at all, you know, from what we gathered. He, he, he didn't remember anything during the day. It was only at night when these those things happened. And he did not remember the night. He did not remember that he was even spitting at people or
2: anything like that. He didn't remember that at all. Was closed
1: after that? Event? not just. Um. That. Uh. uh that was the uh, whole floor closed or whatever? They had was roped off. They had those little roped off ones where there's a little ropes and they're like the little metal things that they attach to. And that's yeah. what they had around that room. Okay. So, well what, yeah. what about the rest of it? Questions over here.
4: so much more since that book, and I'm in the process of writing a book, and the book is entitled A Purloined Diary, An Unsettling Case Study of an Exorcism. This is a working title. It might change a little bit, but I'm here this evening to give you a peek into what I've written, what I've discovered, and I suspect I'm going to discover a little bit more. So. On the preface of that book, this is what I've written, and I won't read you the entire preface, but I'm going to give you a peek into what I've been writing. The author William Peter Blatty wrote The Exorcist in 1971. The movie followed in 1973, both on paper and especially the film, directed by William Frieden, Friedkin, I'm sorry. Uh, startled, scaring the hell out of millions. I sat in a Dallas theater with shivers going up my spine for different reasons than the other movie patrons. I was privy to the truth and background that gave birth to this fictional story of a young girl demonically demonically possessed. In my book, I'm offering you a different perspective. I shall neither try to dissuade, debunk, recruit or convince believers or disbelievers, nor will I attempt to tell you uh, an idea about exorcism and the practice of the rite by the Roman Catholic Church. But first, allow me to take you back in time. There were corps meeting them at the train station. There were more than a dozen young men having traveled together from Chicago that July morning, 1966. Their train passed through Milwaukee, skirted Green Bay, and ultimately disembarked at Shawnee, Wisconsin. In less than an hour, they would arrive home, their new home, that is, Gresham, Wisconsin, a bucolic little village. Meeting them were three men in black. A Norbertine priest and two Alexian brothers, dressed in clerical business suits and white clerical Roman collars, looking as if made as if made for Hollywood. Their journey delivered them to a new monastery and a storybook appearing institution. Beside a waterfall on the edge of a lovely wooded area. Their destination was just a healthy walk, just walking distance from that nearby village. Breathtaking would not be an exaggerating uh, adjective for, to, to describe their arrival. Greeting them were more men in black, wearing monastic garb, as if they were also straight out of Central Casting. Enthusiastic young men, more than their more more their age, poured out of the grand entrance overlooking the water. Introducing themselves as brother this and brother that, they brought the new arrivals luggage in from the caravan of cars. Now, the fresh recruits stood inside what was once a grand mansion given to the Alexian brothers by a lonely, wealthy woman. It was as if a movie crew selected this location to create a film authentic costumes, the sterile feeling of a cloistered uh, convent, and the realization they had committed to join the Alexians. The new men would learn the Alexians traced their origins to the early 12th century. So, before I go any further, it's only fair I tell you I was among one of those new arrivals in 1966. It was at this place, and how I came to learn a closely kept secret. After six months, our postulate class had dwindled down to only eight. Over the centuries, the Alexian brothers learned how to weed out, and, uh, out individuals not fitting or those wishing to leave on their own volition. Not long after, I became an Alexian novice and given the religious name of Gordon. We were sat down and told the basics of an astonishing story dating back to 1949. Brother Florian Eberle, our novice master, took it upon himself to divulge a bundle of unbelievable facts. Florian was not just telling us a story handed down to him. He saw, heard, and experienced firsthand an exorcism writing an earlier book, The Abbey and Me, only two pages did I dedicate. But I'm glad I did. As I said earlier, I'm glad I waited. In this book, A Purloin Diary, you will read the details, recently discovered documents, and (coughs) recorded interviews with individuals playing integral roles add to this account. This is a true story. It's reared its head, demanding attention. The story won't go away after spanning many decades. So sit back, read, or listen this true account. Further into the book, which is partially written at this point, here's an excerpt from the chapter. Before Days Dawn on October 1st, 2018. I drove away from Austin, Texas. My car was loaded with an inventory of my new books, Expunged, published earlier this year, or that year, rather. I also brought along a supply of my first book, The Abbey and Me, written seven years earlier. I was on several missions the last weeks, perhaps a month, packing new, a few changes of clothes I considered the fall weather could bring cool surprises. So, dressing with layers, or or dressing uh, uh, in layers, would have to work for me, other than bulky outerwear. I planned a long, aggressive drive to St. Louis from Austin for that day. It was somewhere in East Oklahoma, Uh, and finding and fiddling with the GPS did I remind myself I was only halfway to St. Louis that day. $2.50 and the Will Rogers Turnpike in Oklahoma delivered me to the Missouri state line near Joplin. I felt the need for another power nap. Instead, I pushed on. Ash Grove, Missouri, a gas tank running low, sleeplessness, and I-45 overtook me. It wasn't until 7 p.m. that evening that I pull into the residence of the Alexian Brothers in St. Louis. Nearly 15 hours of drive time that was over. Greeted by five Alexians, Alexians, there was plenty of gray hair to go around, including my own. I was shown to my guest quarters, 3910 Ohio Street Avenue, rather, at the intersection of Keokuk Street. It is important I more precisely describe the location of this residence. The Alexian brothers are positioned in the extreme northeast or northwest corner of a large city block occupied today by St. Alexis Hospital, Broadway, and bordered to the south by Osage Street. I lay in my bed thinking that when I was only one year old, something extraordinary had taken place here in 1949, involving Jesuit priests, Alexian brothers, and a 14-year-old boy. Too tired to sleep, I tinkered with the bedside clock radio until I stumbled on George Nuri and his late-night talk show, Coast to Coast AM, I recall being a guest on his show years earlier when my book, The Abbey and Me, was published. So it's the next day. The auxiliary bishop was taken on a brief tour of the newer hospital built in 1970. He acknowledged the statue of the Virgin Mary and the devotion to Our Lady of Fatima The significance here was the role this five-foot statue played and represented during the 1949 exorcism that took place in the old hospital, that is, the old hospital built in the 1870s, and once stood in the same location. The entourage of visiting bishop stepped outside the front door The hospital only to be confronted by Christ the Healer, this 16-foot-tall brass and fiberglass sculpture, was dedicated in 1984, part of the Alexian's 650th anniversary. The brothers' kitchen prepared a simple business lunch to chat with Bishop Ripetuso. During a lull and bites of sandwich, I leaned over and introduced myself. I explained I was a former Alexian novice, there to learn more about the 1940 exorcism that took place on this property. I'm, 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 pardon me. He quickly suggested I make an appointment to speak with and visit with the Most Reverend Robert J. Herman, Auxiliary Bishop Emeritus, with the or- with the Archdiocese of St. Louis, like a hot potato, had I been handed off to someone who uh, so appropriate, uh, I, I wondered if that was the right person. Tell him I told you to call, the so said. Perhaps I'd been handed a gift I considered emeritus. Hmm meant someone had been around for a bit longer than the rest of us, and I knew a few things of historic value. Hopefully, but would it also indicate Herman was among those preferring to keep the light of exorcism close to his chest and unwilling to discuss 1949? Auxiliary Bishop Robert Herman came from a generation of St. Louis Catholic uh, priests that were tight lipped because they had been instructed to do that way. I'd acquired an original signed letter that had been strictly forbidden by then Archbishop of St. Louis, later Cardinal Archbishop Ritter, to diverge any information about the case. That quote came from a letter written May 4, 1972. William S. Bowden, the Jesuit, point man, and exorcist in 1949. In part, this is why I wish to get to the bottom of this story from the perspective of the Alexian brothers, who assisted the Jesuits in 1949. I did not expect to get full disclosure from everyone, but I was going to give it a try. St. Louis days and three nights in search of facts, half-truths and secrets hidden away. My bags were packed to drive less than five hours to Chicago. I drove past the old brewery, the Gateway Arch and crossed the Mississippi into the land of Lincoln. My next destination was the home of an old friend, Ray. Ray was not just a friend, he was an acquaintance having experienced time as an Alexian and considered him a good resource for this story. Ray was to be one of my hosts while I was in this circular route through the country. I was particularly interested in Ray's, uh, his Alexian days. Ray was trained by one of the senior Alexian brothers, known as Brother Jedogus. Jadokas was an interesting character. The two Alexian brothers were not fond of each other. Their chemistry clashed. Before he died, an old man, Jadokas appeared on my radar. Rumor had it he knew more than a little something about exorcism in 1949. St. Louis exorcism, that is. So I was off to Wisconsin, following Chicago. I owed my host more insight into the reason for coming back to Wisconsin and its Northwoods. I knew, they knew, I hadn't driven 1,400 miles just to sell a few books and visit a destroyed landmark I already knew extremely well. Approaching 15 years in sickness and health, I had developed a relationship with my host this husband and wife team, we clicked. They are just that way. Lubricated with a glass of wine, I was at ease describing my latest adventure, and they coaxed me to talk. And uh, who is this person you're going to up north to see? They asked. I began to tell them this new developing story. About two years early, I received one of those mysterious emails from a stranger. Occasionally, people will go to the trouble to track you down, find, write, hope they hear back from you. This email was one of those out-of-the-blue occurrences.
0: We're almost out of time for this segment, but it will continue in the next segment. Thank you for listening.